like nothing's been achieved Just to walk a day, go all the way The throngs are closing in As the end is drawing near The twelfth army interfere Open up a get people out It's forced to spread out there You are listening to the History of Music Podcast where each episode we expand upon a song that has a uh, history in its lyrics. Uh, tonight's history lesson is complex but well documented. The Sabaton takes us deep behind enemy lines where we get a glimpse of what it would be like to be on the losing end of a war that's all but ended. But before we get too, too deep into the song, um, let me introduce the two men in front of me. Sean, how's it going? Doing good, Scott. I'm uh, locked and loaded. My, I got my I got my MG42. My Panzerfaust. I'm ready to just bring it to the enemy, man. Let's do it. Let's save some hell. Let's do it. <laughs> um. So, how's how's your day been? Pretty good. Pretty good. Just did a little bit of work today. Worked in the garden. Uh, we recently acquired. Um, this is the first time I've announced this on air, by the way. But we recently acquired two uh, goats in oh. our household. So, the um, the goat, homesteading. Goat yeah, I'm goat doxing on live on the air. My the ho- the homesteading project continues unabated, and as does White Boy Summer for that matter. Nice, I'm proud of you. Thanks, man. <laughs> yeah, they're they're uh, Nigerian dwarf goats. They're both females. They're both two years old, and they both might be pregnant. We'll find out. Wow, interesting. Yeah. All right, and we're also joined by Frenjamin Church. Um, what's up? Hey, how's it going? Pretty good, pretty good. Um, yeah, let's uh, let's get to know you a little bit. Um, who's uh, who's Fringerman? Yeah, so um, I am. Wow, uh, I'm a I'm a Twitter anon. Um, I go online to dissociate and post rabid takes. Um, no, but I'm a I'm a normal guy. I'm a husband. I'm a father. Um, I live out in Appalachia. And, uh, actually, Sean, we were thinking about getting goats ourselves, but, uh, the problem I think we face is that all of the trees on our property are cherry. And if goats eat wilting cherry leaves, they will die. Hmm. Yeah, fortunately, fortunately, I have one decorative cherry tree that I planted on my property and it's on the other side of the yard and it hasn't even produced any fruit yet. Um, so do you, will they, is it one of those things where they'll eat it and die or do they know better? Cause I know with my goats, like there's certain things I'll, I'll offer them all kinds of stuff, like a whole assortment of different leaves and they only eat what they like and they won't even touch anything else. So I wonder if they can be trained. Yeah, I couldn't, or, I couldn't I tell you for sure. Cause I haven't kept goats before, but I, my understanding is kind of like they'll, they won't eat it unless they've eaten everything else. Yeah, and then that's true. That's true. And, and from, I, I, I've, I've yeah. talked to my, my neighbor is, is an actual farmer and I've talked to him about like just various livestock questions. And he said that goats are the, um, the, the, the least picky as far as what they'll eat. So they'll forage and they'll literally eat anything. And they're also the most adventurous when it comes to trying to eat and see if something is edible. So there, uh, that, that, that makes sense. But I know one thing you can do is you can sort of tether them into an area you want to keep them in and they'll only eat stuff in that specific area. So if you have an area in your yard, that's cherry tree lists, you might be able to tether them and just keep them yeah. there and then just kind of feed them what you want to feed them. Uh, well, my, my idea for getting them was to have them basically help me, uh, clear the undergrowth 
in the in said cherry forest uh you know have browse the the shrubs and an invasive honeysuckle and, and stuff like that but i i don't want to kill goats by accident so uh <laughs> I, i'm i haven't pulled the trigger on that yet I'm, I'm still we're still looking into it tethering and feeding and keeping them fed so they don't yeah apparently it's just the wilting leaves green leaves are okay dead leaves are okay but in the process of wilting they create cyanide hmm. interesting crazy yeah this is what i've read interesting we'll have to keep that in mind you heard it here first folks <laughs> <laughs> so awesome so um appalachia your husband and father um first of all thanks for being on the show man i know if you're in appalachia that means you're a couple out you're an hour or two ahead of us so you're probably a little bit late there so i appreciate you staying up and and doing the uh doing the show with us anyway um what so musically what like where do you find yourself musically what you grew up listening to what do you listen to now yeah so those are those are really different answers um i'll start with now um honestly most of my listening time is dominated by podcasts and books and stuff but when i do turn music on i still kind of default back to where i was about 10 years ago which is a lot of 70s country Mm. Um, and, and when I'm in the gym, it, it's a lot of Sabaton. I'd say my gym playlist is like 80% Sabaton and it's probably like 80% of their catalog as well. Nice. Uh, and, and then, um, some other, some other metal, um, but I'm not like a big metal head. So nothing like much harder than Sabaton, like some, some man of war or some power wolf, maybe, um, just, you know, something to get the blood flowing. I know Bennett was on a while ago and he mentioned the doom soundtrack. That's on my playlist too. Um, um, Actually uh, very rarely I'll play some Sabaton in the car and my like four-year-old daughter will start like head banging along this. That's kind of fun. Oh yeah. Um, But uh, yeah. So uh, my, my early like childhood music is probably the least impressive list of music you'll ever hear on the show. I, I started off with like a Spice Girls CD. <laughs> uh, I think I had the, I, I honestly, like it's, it's some of the most um, effeminate music um, you could imagine. Like I had the Spice Girls CD. I remember I had the Britney Spears CD, Shania Twain. I think the, the least like gay CD I had was Matchbox 20 until I don't know, like high school. <laughs> and then I got into like the Lord of the Rings soundtrack. Um, Based. Yeah. Yeah. I, that was my like track and field warm up CD. Um, the Riders of Rohan. Um, so good. Awesome. Y- yeah. Um, and in college, I got a lot. Oh, oh, I skipped. Uh, I, I kind of grew up on, aside from like all those terrible CDs I had, I grew up on like '90s country, so like George Strait, Garth Brooks, but also the kind of less celebrated singers of that era, like uh, Joe Diffie or Mark Chestnut or um, Clint Black, Clay Walker. That was a lot of stuff that I listened to. But then when I got into college, they had at my university a like a licensed this was after the death of napster and like limewire 
and they had some kind of deal where students could download music, but it was like legit, hmm. like, you know, they had a license or something. I don't know how it worked, but basically they throttled my internet every week because I downloaded so much music. Um, but that's sort of when I got into a lot of the music that, um, you know, a lot of guys my age grew up with like classic rock and, and that stuff. So I listened to a lot of that in college and, um, then I got really heavy into country again. And that's when I sort of got into outlaw country, like Haggard and Jennings and stuff like that. Um, and then like 2012 to 14, I went through a pretty heavy dubstep phase, hmm. um, which I, I was of, still, a lot of people did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, which the I was gold, still the golden age of dubstep. Yeah, yeah man. <laughs> there was a, there was a website, uh, like a DJ, I guess. I don't know. It was called the bears. Um, and he would put out like hour long mixes of, of, you know, popular dubstep and, and other electro stuff at the time. It was great. I was doing snowboarding all the time. Nice. Cool. <clears throat> That's awesome. I've never been a huge, uh, um, country fan, but for some reason, um, one of the bands that like a uh, guilty, pre- guilty pleasure is, uh, Brooks and Dunn. Uh, oh yeah i I always liked i don't know why but i went to a brooks and dunn concert i think in like high school oh really they were good yeah they were real good yeah oh go ahead sean no no go ahead i i I talk all the time go ahead i was just gonna say i remember that their show it was one of the few concerts i've been to where they sounded like the record oh like it was very yeah it was very very much uh like listening to the to the album that's awesome. In a good way, awesome. not in like a boring no, yeah, way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. A country was never my. I mean, the, anyone that's listened to this show before knows country was something like my parents made fun of country. We never listened to it growing up. I grew up in California though, so it, it wasn't like I was anywhere near anything remotely country. Um, but uh, after I went on my mission at the age of nineteen, and when I got home, um, I kind of like there's some country songs I kind of heard on the radio or whatever. I was like, you know what? You know, I can I can roll with this a little bit. And then when I got married, my wife, who's actually from the same area of California as me, but her dad's from rural Georgia, um, she grew up listening to '90s country as well. And so she kind of brought like '90s country into the into the marriage, you know. And so, you know, we'll still put on some Alan Jackson every once in a while, or yeah, so yeah. some Brooks at Brooks and Dunn, you know, mm-hmm. or 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 you know, you got to have um, uh, Garth Brooks, obviously. My uh, my wife's grew up around me but similar situation where like her parents like despised country like made fun of it and uh you know in our i think it was even before we got married but i i sort of like pulled her around to appreciating the solid 90s catalog of country nice just gotta show her some king george man <laughs> yep yep uh, yep absolutely That's john cool. Deere green is like one of her favorite songs now that's a joe nice. diffie song nice that's cool, man. So, so today's song, like like we kind of heard in the beginning, there is "Hearts of Iron" by Sabaton. Um, like you said, uh, Frenchman, Sabaton is considered a metal band. Although, I personally, I consider them a very approachable metal band because sometimes when people hear metal or heavy metal, they think that they have a certain connotation in their mind. I don't think Sabaton is that. It's very listenable. I, I listen to this with my kids because it's all clean. It's not like 
a bunch of like scary satanic screaming, you know what I mean? Or, or anything yep, like that. Yep. Um, and, you know, oddly enough, every song they've written, every single one, except for maybe like two, has some sort of a historical story behind it. You know, it's about some actual event that happened from some point in history. Uh, that's kind of their thing is they're like, oh, we're a history metal band. Um, so the song is Hearts of Iron, which um, is is from um, a couple years ago. It's from their album Heroes, which is from 2014. Um, but I, I've, I've listened to this album before. And I know I've heard this song, but I wasn't like super, super familiar with it. I didn't know the, you know, all the words by heart or anything when, when you first suggested this song. But I know you mentioned that that you kind of got into metal there a little bit in college and Sabaton is kind of a large part of your your workout playlist to kind of get you hyped and amped for the gym. Is that kind of how you stumble on this song or do you have like a, a personal kind of history on on this specific song and, and why you picked it? Um, well, so... I probably discovered Sabaton. I don't remember exactly when it was, but I can tell you that it was before Carl Benjamin, Sargon of Akkad started the Lotus Eaters. Someone super chatted him. I was listening to one of his shows and they were like, Hey, check out this band Sabaton. And they were recommending the song Rourke's Drift. Um, and I, I was like, Oh, I'll check that out. And that's when I discovered it. And basically I liked Rourke's Drift so much. I just started listening to everything. And um, when I eventually came across this song, I found it really, really moving. Um, uh, How can I put this? You guys have mentioned, I think on uh, at least one of the episodes in the past, um, Dan Carlin's hardcore history podcast Mm -hmm. and um, setting aside Dan and his politics, that has been a great show. Um, oh, yeah. And, Agreed. Agreed. He, he's next and, level. Yeah, yeah. And one of the things I, I really loved about that show, and I'm, sh- I'm sure you guys would agree, is his use of, like, the primary sources and kind of putting you as, like, a man on the ground in these grand, you know, history operas. And that this song kind of did that for me. Um, but more so... Or, or maybe not more. the the perspective of it is one i think that we don't connect with often mm-hmm. uh, especially as americans um especially with the you know moral dichotomy good guy bad guy set up uh, mythology of world war ii but even without that you know we are a nation that has not taken a loss in war like this. I mean, we've had some kicks in the teeth since world war two, but they, none of them have been on home turf. None of them have involved like massive destruction. You know, we've had Afghanistan, we've had Nam Korea ended in a, you know, the way in a stalemate. Um, but none of it has been like the total destruction and loss and kind of watching everything that you fought for as a soldier just being swept away and and divvied up in in fire you know and blood yeah and and that perspective like really hit me in the feels so to speak so i thought it would be a cool song to discuss yeah i I like it i like i like the um the yeah from from our perspective uh, it's an an uh unusual perspective to take i suppose 
um on a song and i think it's pretty bold of sabaton to do um they're they're uh i i like their um their willingness to to just like their their whole mission is just to like to bring these stories um to light and it's like regardless of of who it was um so they they take on world war ii the bad guys of world war ii on like and it's anyway i think it's really cool um sabaton kind of has deep roots in the podcast even though we haven't had a sabaton song yet this is our first one um the 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 idea kind of started with sabaton um on, on another podcast i do with my with my brother and buddies um the uh the cold bow podcast we, we did some sabaton episodes over there um that are similar to this um but yeah i think i think they're a special band and should be should be listened to and taken more seriously i think you i, I bring them up and people kind of think they're silly or whatever but um i think they're awesome yeah, uh, I I agree. I I really didn't. I mean, they they they've been around since apparently like '99, but their first album came out in '05. So mm-hmm. I um I didn't really get into them much until probably I would say maybe the last five years or so is when I first heard about them. Um, and and it's interesting because if you if you ever look at anything the band ever says or like their videos, because they they have like this whole like culture behind them, like they're 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 live shows of these huge pyrotechnic you know events mm. they have like a tank they bring on stage they have like these costumes they wear they have like computer games that are based on like the like their band and like the stories they tell they've actually done like the soundtrack versus like the, the game hearts of iron four which is part partially where we get this song from right. so there's like like they're they're like super big everywhere in the world and they're pretty big in the u.s but i think they're huge in europe is my guess well they're swedish and like they they, and they don't shy away from like national pride like they're when they play like wing to stars in poland it's like i've seen the videos of it and it's like insane like they're like flag like a polish flag that's like as big as the audience that goes across the whole thing it, it's, yeah. it's really cool that like, sounds incredible yeah. yeah and i know that they're really big into like like nationalism but like loving your own country it's so like they're a swedish mm-hmm. band they love sweden cool more power to you but yeah. they don't strike me as an overly political band and if anything this is my my interpretation they seem to be a little bit on like the normie Mm-hmm. side of things a little bit because they're i think they're all about ukraine right now which is fine um but uh but but i i get i get like a vaguely conservative vibe but the, but overly they're not political but in preparation for this episode i actually watched an interview with uh the bassist his name's Per sundstrom mm-hmm. and uh swedish guy super long hair he looks very swedish um but he talked about he was being interviewed by this guy, um, this historian guy, and he basically asked him like, "Why did you guys like? What's the story behind writing this song?" And he talked about the game Hearts of Iron. It's a computer game where you basically it's World War II and you can play as any country and you basically fight World War II. But there's four games of it. Hearts of Iron Four is the most recent one, and the the company that makes Hearts of Iron Paradox, they're actually a Swedish company. And they came to Sabaton and said, hey, can you like write a song that's kind of about some event from World War II or, or something like that? And that that was sort of like how they got the, I guess, how they got started writing this specific song. But then 
the bassist literally said in his interview, he's like, we wanted to tell a story of Nazi Germany where they're not the bad guys. And that was their intent with writing this song. And I personally, I think they nailed it. And like, like we were saying nowadays, everything is so politicized and Nazism is like the, the, the meter stick or whatever, like the way you measure, like how evil something is like, Oh, he's literally Hitler. Like that's like, you couldn't get more evil than Hitler for some reason. Like he's just as bad as you can get, you know what I mean? And, um, and so because of that, if you ever talk about, nazis nazi germany even germany during world war ii even nazis aside you have to like preface it with all this stuff like okay just so you know we don't hate the jews you know we know they're bad guys you know we we like say all this stuff and it's like you know what they had the draft the same as us and everyone everyone has this mentality i think because of a lot of movies in our in our culture that every soldier of the wehrmacht was like this robot who was like ready to live and die by Hitler's orders. And they looked at him, they worshiped him as a God. And it just, it simply wasn't like that. The more you read about the, the, the actual history of Nazi Germany and, and Germany during world war two, like there were fanatics, you know, just like there are in our own country that you know, people that love Trump or whatever, you know, more power to him. But it wasn't like this, like blanket, like, you know, 200 million Germans loved, you know, loved, loved Hitler. That was the Japanese that were like that. The, the, the Nazis were not like that. <laughs> yeah. The, um, and, and I think that them choosing this particular story was, was kind of genius in, mm-hmm. in putting us in the, the Germans like shoes. Cause, cause it's at the end of the war, like the, the Reich is falling, you know, it's like, it's like a lot of this stuff is kind of going away. There was people like a, a big decision to uh, we'll get into it but to uh disobey orders from hitler and stuff so so it's like i think they chose a, a like if if they chose a good one for anyone to be able to uh relate to before yeah. we go on i have a i have a confession um i bounced off of hearts of iron four so hard people love that game and i love strategy games and i tried to play it and I played for like a half an hour and I was like, I can't, I can't get this. I quit. <laughs> really? Yeah. I never gave it a second shot. People were like, Oh, just, you know, and I'm sure I could, but the thing is, I, I still play video games, but I don't have that much time to like sink 400 hours into figuring yeah. out how to whatever anymore. Yeah. I, I get that. I, uh, I recently got back into civilization. I've been playing Civ five, but I mostly play with the mods um and uh, there actually is a mod where you can play as nazi germany actually you can play as adolf hitler and <laughs> and anything and, and like your your special units are like the um the wehrmacht and like a tiger tank but um yeah i've never played i never played hearts of iron i've always heard of it but i've never actually played it but you might want to get back into it frenchman just for the mods because there are some mods there that apparently are pretty good uh one of them is called kaiserreich or Kaiser, Kaiserreich, sorry. And it's basically a mod where they assume that the central powers, basically Germany, won World War One, And, mm. uh, and it's, so it's kind of like an alternate history one. And there's another one called The New Order, The Last, Day, the Last Days of Europe, um, which is basically an alternate history one where the Axis powers won World War Two, And uh, you kind of like live in that world. And supposedly it's like super, like, esoteric and dark you know but like really good so i don't know maybe it's worth a revisit man maybe we'll, we'll see if i can squeeze the time but yeah it sounds cool yeah, yeah. It sounds cool so uh what one more aside sorry before we go so uh, sean you, you mentioned the uh that interview that the bassist did 
Yeah. Um, so they have that's a whole series they have on their own on their YouTube where they yeah. do that for every song. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, what's kind of funny is we we had put out two or one or two of those uh, Sabaton uh, episodes on that other podcast I do. Um, and and within like weeks of us putting that up, they started this that series, which was basically exactly what we were doing, just better. <laughs> so <laughs> that, that's kind of why it stopped, is because it's like, yeah, they're doing it already. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah that's cool. They have they have a little bit more money than us, so the production, yeah, yeah. And production the, and they, a little better, and they can literally interview themselves doing it. So, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was them. Yeah, and they, if you ever if you ever go to the Sabaton website, like they currently have. Uh, a, a movie about World War One that they're playing in museums across the world, and you can like go on their website and find out where it's playing, and you can like go to their song, and it has a a, a whole calendar, and it'll tell you each day in the year, like, oh, this Sabaton song is about this battle that took place on this date. Here's what happened, and you can like watch their YouTube video about it. Like, it's crazy. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Frenchman. What were, you, what were you gonna say, Frenchman? Oh no, I was gonna say uh, that's all very cool. Yeah, their 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 videos are really cool but uh they don't talk about goats at the beginning of their videos that's true so we, we do have that that's true we got the, we got the market cornered on goat goat talk <laughs> that's true. We're, we're personable yeah we are that's right yeah we are so cool man so i uh yeah good song it was really good i was showing it to my kids today um by the way just as an aside sabaton is uh the name of the metal foot piece on a knight a knight's armor like like chain link armor, chain mail armor, whatever. Like the little foot piece is called mm-hmm. a sabaton. That's where their name comes from. Which yeah. is hilarious because it's such a cool sounding word, but like one of the weirdest, like lamest pieces of armor you can Yeah, yeah it's just a benign, <laughs> like boring thing. They couldn't be like foot plate. Yeah, some kind of cool sword or a shield or whatever. It had to be a, a foot foot armor. <laughs> There's gotta be a reason behind it. I mean, I, I'd totally accept it just sounding cooler than anything else, but um, I'd, I'd like to know. Yeah. All right. So do you guys you guys want to get into the lyrics? Yeah, let's do it. Let's dive in. Okay. Um, Frenchman, do you have the lyrics pulled up in front of you? Uh, no, I don't. No worries. <laughs> Hang on. No, Hang you're, on. Got, you're good. Scott, why, you don't, you go, got him. why don't you go ahead and read uh, the, the, first, the first little verse there? Yep. Yeah, and this song, it, it like you heard, it, it starts off like immediately in getting deep and heavy into it. It's real. So, um, so the first one goes, See the Reich in flames, try to save Berlin in vain. It's a road through death and pain. On the shore, there's... Uh, on the other shore, there's the end of the war. Okay. So, what are we, uh, what are we learning about here? Yeah, so... Um, the what's happening for anyone who's not familiar with the Battle of Berlin is that the Soviets have come from the east and the Americans have come from the west in a big giant anvil hammer. Wow, anvil hammer. Sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> move right, right on Berlin, and the Soviets have basically enveloped the city. Um, and you have nightly RAF raid uh bombing runs on berlin the soviets are in artillery range are just pounding it um with artillery so it you know the the city is literally in flames uh the different armies of germany are uh, pretty hard pressed they're they're outnumbered for one um 
and they, they make a couple of attempted counterattacks. Um, th that's the, you know, try to save Berlin in vain. Basically, mm -hmm. nothing they do works. They, they yeah. punch a couple holes that get almost immediately, um, you know, sealed up and, and they're screwed. Uh, yeah, we, we've alluded to it, but um, explain, like, at what point in the war are we? Like, oh, yeah, this is April 1945. This is the end of the war. Mm -hmm. um, and so, so, so the walls the, uh, are closing in. Yes. And the, the reference to the other shore is <clears throat> the Elba River. Uh, basically, the, the Germans were attempting to flee the Soviets and retreat to the West. Um, because once it was clear that there was no saving Berlin, they were going to have to surrender. Not only were gonna, they going to lose this battle, they were going to lose the city, but that meant that, you know, that was it. That was the war's over. And so because of, there were a lot of ethnic atrocities that were committed um, by the German army in um, Ukraine, I think. And I, I don't remember where else, but in Soviet union while they were <clears throat> marching toward russia and there was a there was quite a lot of ethnic hatred and and bad blood and um my understanding is that a lot of the germans were were very afraid of soviet retribution not not merely uh you know losing a battle or surrendering but like what would happen <clears throat> if they became prisoners of war or to the women in the city etc um, and so there was a there was a real attempt once it became clear that they were going to lose to get over to the other side of the river where the <clears throat> excuse me the Elbe River is west of Berlin so they could surrender to the Americans. Yeah, and and that's a very good picture, Frenchman. So I I quite literally had to pull up a map of Germany mm -hmm. like right now just to kind of like get my bearings on this because Berlin at this point is the capital of Germany. It's their Washington DC, you know, their London. And but it's very close to the Polish border. Um like, you know, a couple miles uh from Berlin, you have the I think it's the Oder River, the Oder River, and you cross mm -hmm. that and you're in Poland. And so what had happened is earlier on in the war as we all know, Germany had basically like a had gone like supernova. They basically conquered like a ch huge chunk of Europe, you know, all of Poland, most of France, um, you know, they'd conquered, you know, they, they were, they were allied with Italy. They'd conquered like the, you know, all, all the, the Balkans, they'd gone all the way, basically almost to Moscow, but then slowly, but surely um, on the, on the East, they're being, they're being essentially eaten alive by the, the Russians on the West. They're being eaten alive by the allies, mainly the Americans, British, and some French. Um, and so slowly over these basically kind of, year two years basically 44 and 45 i think parts of 43 as well um they're, they're just shrinking back to germany mm -hmm. but what's oftentimes not discussed is part of the reason why hitler invaded these areas in the first place is because he was he was um looking for what they what they called lebensraum like living space and um, oftentimes people just think like, oh, well, well, that's because Germany thought they were better than everyone. They wanted to kick the natives out and just take over their land, sort of. But if you go back and listen to our episode with Nim, um, you'll you'll see that that part of the reason for this is they were trying to go back to like what greater Germany was like 
from like the 1860s, 1870s, you know, where, where you have these ethnic German enclaves that are all over Poland, all over parts of Russia. They're all over Lithuania and Latvia and all these areas. And so they're basically trying to like reconnect with these people, these German speaking, ethnically German people and bring them back into Germany. And that's exactly what they did. But what ends up happening is, is as, as the, the allies are closing in on them, like in this sort of pincher movement, all these refugees from these German areas are fleeing back to Germany and soldiers fleeing back to Germany. So you have this massive um, human, uh, human rights issue, you know, because the, um, the, 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 the communist Russians at this point, the Soviet union were notoriously bad and they were known for all <laughs> kinds of, you name a war crime. The Soviet union was doing yeah, yeah, as, as everyone bad as, as bad as uh, the, the Germans were during this war, the, the Russians, they, 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 were, they retaliated they in kind yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, mean, I mean honestly i think i think if you were to pick like like worst war crimes japanese are number one and i i suspect the russians would have to be number two maybe the germans but they're i mean they're they're pretty close but anyway so because of that and because um russia or soviet union was allied with america with with the u.s and everyone else they had all these agreements okay guys we're going to invade germany and you know, allies, you know, America and, and, and England and France, you guys go to the Elba River and stop. And then we will meet you there. We'll basically just smash Germany all the way up to the Elba River. And that's basically what they did. And so at this point, um, the, the Battle of Berlin, which I was saying before we started, is, is a hot mess. And so to study it is, is very confusing because what you end up happening is you have these massive armies of the Soviet Union coming from the east from two different directions. And they surround the city. But in the process of that, because of stiff fighting from the Germans, you have all kinds of German units that are getting like trapped in these pockets where they're like totally surrounded, like in a, in a small town or a small suburb or a small building. And they're surrounded on all sides by the Soviet Union and just holding out for days, weeks, you know, with no food, no ammunition, they're still holding out. And so you'd have these guys and these Germans in these pockets that were trapped and they try and break out, you know, try and like reconnect with their own lines. And so really hard to follow the 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 lines of, of of battle but this song is talking specifically about a kind of a, a smaller theater in this overall battle called the battle of halba and what it's talking about is we'll, we'll get into it but it's basically talking about just exactly one of these things where you have the german i think it's the ninth army is trapped in this in the city of halba in this mm -hmm. forest and they're trying to break out to reconnect with another german army so they can actually retreat and surrender to the americans because it was known that if you surrender to the americans there's almost no war crimes committed you surrender to the soviet union you, you'll probably never be seen again. Your wife's going to be raped. Your children will be killed. You're going to be starved. You'll be beaten. You name it. It's going to happen to you. So, and that was widely known um, by all German, all the German military. And so they were eating, either, either fighting to the death or trying to fight their way to the American lines so they could surrender to the Americans. Right. Yeah, actually, um, so if we, if we go into the next, the first verse here is who could ever have believed seems like nothing's been achieved just to walk a day, go all the way, the fronts are closing in. So that's basically what you just described, right? So they, they had all this territory and now it, they're in disbelief because here's, you know, two armies knocking on the, the capital's doors. Um, and then as the end is drawing near the 12th army interfere, open up a route, get people out. It's forces spread out thin. So 12th army was engaged to the West of Berlin with the americans and when the situation became so dire 
um, Hitler ordered the 12th Army to disengage with the Americans and turn and face east mm -hmm. to try to relieve Berlin. And um, in fact, the the they haven't mentioned it yet in the song, but the Ninth Army is the one you mentioned, Sean. They're, they're trapped south of Berlin, and they were ordered to a to counterattack into Berlin. And the commander of that army said, "Yeah, can't do it. Like we don't have the men, we don't have the firepower." And he begged Hitler to allow him to fighting retreat to the west to try to link up with the Twelfth Army. Um, and he he basically said like you got to let me fight to the West or I'm going to resign my post. Uh, and he did eventually, I think, get that permission. And that's what this, the rest of the song's about. Yeah. And, right. and uh, like you, you talk about not having the manpower, a lot of these um, regiments by the end of the war here, they're, they're the men are so depleted that they're pulling in um, men from up, upwards of like 60, like older men and then youth. Like they're pulling from the from Hitler's youth uh, to be mm -hmm. to, like out of school to come fight against Russian tanks. Yeah, so, so well, that's that's exactly not, it's what not it like was. a it's not like a a super powerful unit, you know. Yeah, well, the German army of 1945, especially April and May 1945, was not the German army of 1939. They were mm -hmm. a pale shadow of their former selves, mm -hmm. and and. What, what oftentimes gets overlooked in, in these discussions is like the entire German economy had collapsed. There was no infrastructure at all. So there's no food getting to these guys. There's no ammunition getting to these guys. There's no reinforcements getting to these guys. There's no gasoline or fuel for their vehicles. Yeah, not to so mention what, the hundreds of thousands of civilians in Berlin. Right, right. They mm -hmm. estimate that the, they estimate that these guys had 250,000 civilians with them that they mm -hmm. were having to feed, clothe, protect um, in a, a German civilians. Mm -hmm. And um, and and the the requirement here was if you were a man and you could fight, you were part of this 12th Army. It didn't matter if you were like 12 year old kid who didn't even finish, you know, eighth grade, or you were you know, a 75 year old man who is a veteran of world war one and wounded in combat, or you were a local Berlin police officer, or you were like a wounded guy from the actual 12th army. It didn't matter. They consolidated all of it into the 12th army and just basically said, Hey, whatever you can carry, whatever you've got with you, food, ammunition, and guns, that's what we've got. You've got to make it last. And, um, they had like almost no vehicles. They had almost no you know heavy artillery and they're going against the Soviet army who, had supply lines open they had reinforcements they had food not only that but in, in this this um the guy that we're talking about here his name is walter venk or walter wank i guess but walter venk if you're speaking german mm -hmm. um he was placed in charge of the 12th army and like frenjamin said he had just basically been getting a snot beat out of him by the americans who were fresh like they had not we'd, we, we'd been in the war for a couple of years we've been fighting the japanese but in europe we were like the top dog you know, because we, we basically got to France in 44. We'd only been there for like a year, maybe. No, actually, it hadn't even mm -hmm. been a year because we got there in June of 44. So hadn't even been a year yet. We had boots on the ground. So we're fresh. We have all the energy. We have all the money and every all the food and everything. And so we basically pushed them all the way to the Elba River. The Germans retreat across the Elba River. And their plan was to stay there and kind of fortify and basically hold out against the Americans to kind of protect the rest of Germany. And that's when they got orders from Hitler himself, who said, no, you need to relieve Berlin 
We need to protect the city. So turn your backs on the Americans and come attack East and attack the Soviets to relieve Berlin. Yeah. And, and, and Hitler was in Berlin at the time. Right. And mm-hmm. that's, that's, that's the other thing too, that I was going to bring up is um, at this time, the, the battle of Berlin, I think officially they say it started on April 16th, but the dates that we're talking about here with all this stuff happening is like the end of April, April 24th, April 25th, basically all the way up to April 30th. And um, at this time, the Soviets are basically knocking on the doors of Berlin. Like mm-hmm. they're in the outskirts. They're fighting house to house with Germans, rape, pillaging, plundering, killing all you name it. It's happening in Berlin and Berlin is basically mostly in rubble anyway. And, um, and so on, on um, so Hitler is in his, the Fuhrer bunker, which is kind of underneath, I think the Reichstag, like kind of basically in the middle of city of, of Berlin. And he's there with this kind of small contingent of, you know, um, guards and his, his kind of um, his staff, you know, and his wife and everything. And he's basically giving orders from there. And, and that's where they got this order from was Hitler in the bunker as the, the, the Soviet Union's on the outside of, of Berlin, basically saying, Hey, come relieve Berlin. He's basically saying, come save me. Essentially. Yeah. Although before this, he'd already admitted that the war was lost. He was going to commit suicide. So personal opinion, I think Hitler was probably a little bit uh, stressed to say the least. (laughs) And maybe Um, not of his had a a rough day. Yeah. So I don't, I don't think he was, he was uh, in his, in his right mind as no one would be under this kind of stress. And so I think he, he looked at this as like, no, there's the Germany's gone to fight to the death. Everybody, it was like a suicide thing. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Very reckless. And so um, Hitler ends up committing suicide on April 30th, just, just for context here. Um, And so April 30th, when he committed suicide and these German soldiers are still trying to fight towards Berlin to basically get the Berlin citizens out. Yeah. That's what it turns into. Mm -hmm. Um, And and, and in this, in the next verse, it actually kind of uh, explains it. If we want to keep going. Yeah. So, cause, and, and to back up a little bit, cause the, the first line is see the Reich in flames, um, try to save Berlin in vain. It's a road through death and pain on the other shore. They're talking about the other shore where the, where the Americans are, like we talked about. Mm-hmm. And so like the end of the war is over there. It's not with the Soviets because yeah, they'll, they'll, you know, that's, that's a terrible end. But if we can make it to that other shore where the Americans are, the war will be over and we'll be safe. Yeah. Lose to the um, Americans, not to the Soviets. Right. Yep. Yep. And so um, it's as the end, and then the part that Frenchman read, as the end is drawing near, the 12th Army interfere. The 12th Army is the one that this Walter Vank was commanding, the ones that were commanded to turn their backs to the Americans and fight the Soviets mm-hmm. to, to free Berlin. That's the 12th Army. Um, open up a route, get get people out. Its forces spread out thin. And then um, I think it's the chorus after that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the chorus. It uh, is, yeah. Yeah. Bridge which is, and chorus. Yeah. yeah. It's the end of the war. Hold the corridor. Reach for Elba's shore. And then after that, we got... I, I love the word reach there because mm-hmm. it 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 just... I don't know. The way they sing it, too, it, it, it describes the desperation, mm-hmm. right? Like It's not just like get there. Scrambling, reaching, just doing anything you can to get as many people across that river as you can. I suspect, uh, then, I, I think, I think they're, I think they're communicating this, this, this feeling accurately, but it's probably like a hope for these people, like the civilians and soldiers, like, look guys, if we can just get to the Elba river, we'll be all right. Yep. Yeah. So yep. I, the I the next bit is the core. I was going to say the next bit is the chorus and then the next verse. So the, oh, the right, chorus right. is 
Yeah, it's I the think, end of the war has been... Oh, go, go ahead, Scott. Are I you? think, Sean, you should read the chorus here because I think you have the best German. <laughs> Hi. Fine. Um, it's, do you speak German, Frenchman? I, well, I didn't know. I, I don't speak it, but I can read, I can okay. read it. Okay. So um, it's the end. The war has been lost. Keeping them safe till the river's been crossed. Nicht ein Schlacht, ein Rittungsaktion. Holding their ground till the final platoon. Hurry up, we're waiting for you. Men of the Ninth and civilians too, dispossessed, surrendering to the West. So yeah, yeah. The um, what I was getting at earlier that in this verse, that that German phrase is it's basically saying it's this is not a battle; it's a rescue mission. Right. Um, so, so they so they've they've uh, disobeyed the Hitler's order to to save berlin or or to try and take back berlin or wh whatever it is like whatever military force he wanted to show there they are decide they've decided to turn this into a rescue mission yeah yeah and, and i think and I, actually the the german there is is not correct um the uh the the lead singer i, I don't know if i I've only read his name. I don't know if it's Joachim. I don't know if that's the correct Swedish pronunciation. I've heard. Joachim. I've heard him say it, and he says Joachim. That's yeah. how he says Joachim. It. Okay. Joachim. Well, apparently, so he's done an interview where, um, I mean, the, the meaning is correct. It's not a battle; it's a rescue mission. But they they butchered the German a little bit there. Um, <laughs> I've heard their pronunciation isn't great either. But yeah, but apparently the 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 record label Nuclear Blast is German, and they just went with it. So. <laughs> yeah well because i mean I, I the i actually knew these words so it's it's not not a fight or not a battle a and then retungs is is rescue and then action action rescue action but i believe that is uh i think it's lifted directly from venk's uh diary or something at the time because i know mm. in another thing on 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 um on the history of this he referred he referred to this as his um, uh, Rettungswerk, like his rescue work. Mm. Uh, okay, cool. Uh, yeah. Nice. So, um, so, but, but to kind of give a little bit more context, I feel like that's all I've been doing this whole episode. Sorry, guys. <laughs> no, I mean, there's a, there, this is a, this is a big, deep thing. It's, it's yeah. And it's fun. honestly, it, it helps if you have a map and you're like, oh, okay, so that city's over here, they're over here. So, um, to kind of let you know, like let the I guess the audience know what's going on. Um, the 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 twelfth army is at the Elba River on the east side of the Elba River, and they've been commanded to go to Berlin. Knowing it's a suicide mission, they went anyway, and they got as far as Potsdam, which is a, another city. But it's I, I guess nowadays it's almost like a suburb of Berlin. It's just south of Berlin. But they made it up to there, and that's where they ran into this really stiff resistance from the Soviets because the Soviets had literally en encircled the city. It was almost entirely encircled. But mm -hmm. over over to their kind of right um, in a, in another another town um, called Halba, that's where the Ninth Army was. They had been trapped in what they call the Halba Pocket. They'd been surrounded by the by the Soviet Union, and they'd already tried to break out. Uh, two times. And so on the third time, um, uh, they tried to break out on the third time, right when, um, right when uh, Venk decides this is suicide, Berlin is lost, let's just try and save as many people as we can, let's do this rescue mission. He basically decides, okay, let's connect up with the Ninth Army who's trapped over here. And between the two of us, we can basically kind of fight 
like like Moses parting the Red Sea of the Soviet of the Red Soviet Union. We can we can basically part um, a, a corridor, a safe corridor, to from Berlin to the Elba River, so that these civilians and and any soldiers still in Berlin can escape safely. And that's exactly what happened. So he basically attacked. Uh, towards the Ninth Army in the Hobble Pocket. The Ninth Army is attacking for the third time out of the Hobble Pocket. They actually made, they actually connected all joined up forces. And then for a short time, um, kind of fought on two sides, you know, on their left and right to kind of open up this corridor from Berlin all the way down to the Elba River. So that, like I said, anyone, any civilians and whatnot could be sort of escorted to safety out of there and and essentially fought like a fighting action rear guard action all the way back to the elba river yeah and they, they were able to save something like two hundred fifty thousand people mm-hmm. yeah and um one of the things that i i like about the way they sing this this chorus too is when they get to the word lost he he sort of screams it like there's there's like pain in that word when he says lost and going back to that sort of like soldier on the ground thing you can imagine being like a rifleman or a tank operator and you're you're on this suicide mission and you know may, maybe you're one of the lucky ones who lived but I, just putting yourself in that mindset of all right we've lost but i still have to basically fight to the death because there's all these people that are gonna die i can't like i can't just quit because we've lost like that that is not an option Right. So uh, th- this chorus kind of brings that emotional point home for me. Yeah. Right. Well, and it's, it's the war's been lost, but what they're fighting for now isn't the war and like greater Germany. They're fighting to save their own people. Lives. Yeah. It's, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's and, kind of a turn. It's kind of the, the tables have turned a bit on them that they, they've, for much of the war, they were advancing. And then they've been retreating for a long time, but now it's like, it's really the end. And so now it's just like a, just hold on long enough to save some people. Yeah. And, and, and for, for context, like in the battle of Berlin as a whole, um, the Soviet union amassed like over 2 million guys to attack Berlin, like massive, like that's like Chinese army levels of numbers because I mean, that was one thing I was thinking of in preparing preparation for this lesson is, or not this lesson, geez, in, in preparation for this, uh, I'm not in church, but uh, in preparation for this podcast is um, the Soviet Union is kind of that at this time, the Soviet Union is kind of how we look at China now, where it's like they just have this massive land area and they just have endless men. They will just spend lives like they're nothing because they have so many. Because that was kind of the Soviet Union's sort of mo at this time um you know is, is like they just had tons of men and couldn't even supply them all so their whole thing was like just send them all just send human waves you know kind of like how the mm-hmm. chinese are, are sort of you know stereotypically portrayed that was the soviets in this in this uh this era and so you have over two million soviets going against just the city of berlin and the surrounding area and the germans had maybe eight hundred thousand. And, and that was like, they're probably at half strength. If that, you know, like a couple rounds and a gun tanks with no, with no gas, you know, that kind of stuff. And uh, so the fact that they could hold out at all was pretty amazing. And if we're talking about the battle of Halba um, wh- where they're fighting, they're fighting out of that, that, that pocket, you know, the ninth army and the 12th army linking up um, Vank had command of about 80,000 men and he was fighting against 280,000 
uh, Soviets. So again, the fact that he even had an army of any sort at the end of this stuff is is pretty amazing because the numbers are so lopsided in in the Soviets' favor that it's like I I think I think inept uh, communist leadership <laughs> and and uh, and 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 you know training and so forth is basically what probably saved a lot for the Germans. I would say. So you're saying imagine being beset on all sides by hostiles that are kind of incompetent. <laughs> I think I can and, imagine something like that. And, uh, and a large yeah. number of your of your army are commanding are children or uh, like elderly or, or whatever. It's like, so th- that adds another. Yeah. Well, you're also oh, yeah. propaganda was used by every, every, uh, belligerent every every person in this war that was using propaganda but and so the propaganda played a part but like i said before stories had reached these guys of the atrocities the soviets had committed in poland you know yeah. and, and like other areas and so they knew what was in store for them if they surrendered you know it yeah. was it was i'm going to be tortured and sent to a gulag my wife will be raped and killed my kids will probably starve to death and everything i and then my entire country will be burned to the ground and everything will be populated by communists so, yeah. so it, it makes sense. You don't want to surrender to the Soviets. Well, well and when uh, Berlin ended up kind of imploding and uh, and being taken over, um, that that's exactly what did happen. It, it was, and it. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, I don't know. I I, I watched this uh, this YouTube video where someone mentioned that that it, this was the like the way. Um, the Soviets um, took over the city was one of the most horrific things like in history, almost um, what, like massive human rights violations, like, huge, like as insane. we call it today, massive. Like, yeah. so, something like upwards of millions of women being raped. Yeah. And hundreds it, of thousands dying. That's it's interesting women. to me that this was, you know, okay. Yeah. It was, 80 years ago which is a long time but it's not that long Mm-mm. and it's it's crazy to me that we and even our parents has spent our entire lives where like stuff like this doesn't happen anywhere yeah. in the world i mean it happens on a small very small scale in places that are over there but it yeah. doesn't happen like even with this russia ukraine war that's currently going on I mean, I'm sure there are, don't get me wrong, I'm sure there are uh, war crimes being committed, but nothing like, nothing like the, the, the violence, both in terms of like, what you would call gross human rights violations, or even the level of destruction. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. sure parts of the, you know, the Russia, Ukraine, I, I know I've seen videos of like, different towns in, uh, and cities in in Ukraine being being pretty devastated, but not like seventy five thousand artillery shells. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and and it the, like a a huge city like Berlin. And, yeah, and and you're right. Like th- this isn't that long ago. My my grandpa fought in like the Battle of the Bulge in in this war. Same, so and, did mine. And and so it's like that's awesome. Um, so it's not that long ago within living history, and like they they sacked a town or a city 
and then like Genghis Khan would say, "All right, go have your way." Basically, yeah. you earned it. It's like it's pretty savage for for, for a, a a pretty modern war. But the, yeah, and exactly. There's you know it's still lurking there. You know there's just this thin veneer, and like I mean, God forbid things get bad enough, but you mm-hmm. you got to understand it could happen again. <laughs> this yeah. isn't like dusty textbook history yeah it it makes it it really brings to home the like what war is and and what it could be yeah well and and like the soviets like i I mean i think some of it was retribution but i think again it was just it's just soviet stuff they they do this with their own people if you read anything about the, 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 the russian civil war they do the same thing to the to the russian their own people so that's just how they are I think at least in this era, but like, they would, yeah, but they would, they would just basically go into houses and stuff and they would arrest anyone in a uniform, even like, Oh, you're a train conductor in a uniform arrested gulag. Oh, you're a policeman. That's just like doing your job. You know? Oh, you're a, you know, a boy scout, with your boy scout uniform on or anyone in a uniform you get arrested. And they, they, um, they estimate that about 125,000, uh, German civilians were killed just in the Battle of Berlin, not the starvation and, and atrocities that followed after. Um, and that's that's basically in a essentially a two week period. It was a period of two weeks. That's how many civilian German civilians were killed. Yeah, and, and you think about it, like two hundred fifty thousand civilians were were saved, but then they were just pulled from their homes. Now what do they do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well. And also leading up to, I think in the less than one year leading up to the Battle of Berlin, I think I read that Germany lost a million soldiers. And so, I mean, think about the devastation, just the physical and human capital devastation that was wrought on that country, Um, let alone... um, the you know the the denazification programs that followed but i mean just a just how could it be anything other than a shell of its former self after that yeah well they, and like you said earlier frenchman like imagine someone coming and like taking over you know everything you own everything you know but it's like germany the, these people's their country didn't exist by 1946 it was it was it was partitioned off so soviet union took half and the allies mm-hmm. took a couple sections and gave them all different names gave them different different government structures different leaders you know different a different military structure with a different name different flag mm-hmm. you know different different even even their national anthem changed like it's like you it's like erasing it's almost like it it it, it just made me think of like the the what they call the war of 45 like in 1745 when uh, the battle of culloden which is basically when the scots fought the english on english soil and after that mm-hmm. battle the english were so incensed that the scots would attack them over you know who they think should be king that they basically just made it illegal to be scottish you can't be scottish you can't play the bagpipe you can't wear a kilt or a tartan you can't you have to change your name you can't speak scottish anymore and that, and it's it's I mean that that's 1745, which is not the Dark Ages, but sort of. It's a long time ago. This is 1945. Like right. there's pe- there's people living now that had a had a hand in this stuff that, that, that remember this. You know what I mean? There's yeah. ch- there's children alive that definitely remember this. You know what I mean? Well, th- that's why 
the the can, can I get into the next verse, Sean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Go ahead, man. I'm sorry, I'm just rambling. Sorry. Go ahead. No, no, because because I want to I want to draw a point out. Uh, okay, yeah, that. yeah. Go ahead. So it's who'll survive and who will die, up to Kriegs Excuse me, Kriegs to decide. Those who made it cross without a loss have reason to reflect. It is not about Berlin. It is not about the Reich. It's about the men who fought for them. What peace can they expect? So it's it's that last line. The what peace can they expect? That um, it is interesting. I don't know what Sabaton exactly it was 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 or wasn't implying by that. The surface reading of it's very simple. Is like okay, if we surrender to the Americans we, our bodies, ourselves, will have much more peace than if we surrender to the Soviets. We've covered that. We've talked about that. But if you think about it in terms of the country of Germany, like what peace can can they expect? And we actually, we know the answer to that now. They didn't, you know, the men on the ground in that battle didn't know. But um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the country was physically devastated. And then, I mean... If you you know spend some time online and and uh, if you ever bounce into like German Twitter, <laughs> um, it, it's interesting, right? Because I have a lot of respect for the German people, but some sometimes and some depending on which people I'm looking at, it feels like I have more respect for the German people than the German people have respect for the German people. Yeah. Um, it, you know, th- this isn't this is painting with a very broad brush, but um. It, it, it feels bad to see such a demoralized people. Um, yeah, I have, I have, I have, a, I've thought about this as well, Frenchman. And I, I have my, my theory on that. My working theory on that one is first of all, they lost two world wars, which is traumatic for any society, any country. And yep. h- how does your birth rate recover from that? You know what I mean? But more off, more than anything, I think anyone who had any shred of a fighting spirit nationalism love of country love of your people any of that died on the field died on both those fields and and if they didn't die on those fields then they died in the gulags and the denazification process that came afterward the the retribution if you will and even to this day they're still trying to like hunt for nazis how often do we hear about some yeah exactly there's one just this week just like just like a week ago i know 99 year old guy yeah, we're still like trying to look underneath the bed and look in the closet for Nazis because we need to make sure they're totally eradicated 80 years later. And yeah. it's like, dude, man, like, come on. So, guys, so what, what's interesting, um, Frenchman, about that line that you were wondering about uh, Sabaton's uh, intent, that was actually part of a quote from uh, from Walter Wink. The, yeah. Oh, the very general. interesting. Yeah. So, so the, the, the start, the, the quote starts with, um, it's not about Berlin. It's not about the Reich. It's about the men who fought for them. What peace can they expect? Yeah, and I, I noticed um, the the prior uh, verse. I was going to point this out where um, where after it says like the the German line and it says hold their ground till the final platoon hurry up. We're waiting for you, men of the ninth and civilians too, dispossessed, running to the rest. So the hurry up, we're waiting for you is in quotes because that's exactly mm. what he said when Venk, um was was initially starting to attack towards the ninth army to break him out of the hobble pocket he messaged them on the radio and that's what he said he basically said he messaged them and said hurry up we're waiting for you start attacking the soviets and head towards us which i think a ni- nice touch honestly just like respect yeah you know, for, for including quotes from the actual dude multiple in quotes yeah, yeah that's multiple. very cool 
Yeah. By the way, the uh, the line uh, "Who'll survive and who will die" up to Kreef Gluck to decide. I didn't know until today what that German word meant. I thought it was a commander's name. I thought this line was implying like <laughs> you have limited resources. You know, you you have to decide decides, where to put yeah. them. But the the word actually just means uh, luck of war or war luck. So you know, yeah. Well, where do the shells ter- fall? Sort of right. thing. Yeah. Well, so uh, in German, it's really weird because all nouns um, are capitalized. And so it's hard to tell what's mm. a name and what's just like a, a, a thing. Um, but yeah, Kriegsglück is quite literally war luck. War, or luck, war is yeah. luck. Yeah. But but I guess that what, they, what that refers to is like the fortunes of war or the luck yeah. of war. And so what they're basically saying is who's going to live, who's going to die? We don't know. Kriegsglück or Kriegsglück will, will decide. You know, the the, the, the the fortunes of war will determine that. Yeah, that, that makes me think of like, I, I mentioned on the last episode, reading the Iliad with my kids, it makes me think of the trojans saying like oh it'll, it, it'll it's up to zeus like Z- zeus made me miss that uh miss miss that shot with my arrow type <laughs> but it's it's fitting though because the german people through their entire history up until the end of this war basically up until 1945 a very martial people mm-hmm. you know like just just i i think i think it's just part of their culture it's in their blood even even <laughs> back when they were just the the germani fighting the romans yeah. just, just something that was bred into them and so i think that's just it kind of holds a little more weight when 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 you read it that way it's like no no it's just who who will live who will die uh well the fortunes of war you know the luck of war will, will determine that you, you know, know so, sometimes i think that's uh i don't want to say cope but that, that's kind of how you have to cope as a as a as a soldier a lot of times is like sometimes you just you're lucky or you're unlucky and there's not much more to it you can prepare yeah, and have the warrior as much skill What's that? The warrior monk yeah. striding among the artillery bombardment. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's crazy. So I um, g- going back a little bit when I was saying I was looking at the map, I was I was trying to determine how long these guys had to walk. Because the Sabaton guys basically said that the 12th Army during this whole process, like walking from uh, the the Elba River to Potsdam to the to save the Ninth Army back to the Elba River. Um, that it's it's like I forgot what they said, like 150 kilometers, which that's a European measurement. So I'm not exactly sure how long that is, but um, but I, I actually did some quick measurements, and I was like, okay, if you're on the east side of the Elba River and you walk to Potsdam, how many miles is that? And I calculated it's roughly 54 miles, roughly. Is that how the, the crow flies? So, as, like, as, the, as the crow, I think that one's actually following a road, um, oh. because I know that um, that they did have like the autobahn uh, at this point, mm-hmm. and I think they may have followed that if it was even in who knows you know, yeah. still still intact. Who knows? But anyways, either way, if you just look at roughly fifty four miles to get to Potsdam, and, and they they basically get there and they fight, and then from Potsdam to Bielitz which is, is kind of where they fought to, to start fighting to get the Ninth Army out, was an additional 13 miles. And then from Bielitz, Germany, to Tangermunde, Tangermunde, excuse me, Tangermunde, which is basically where the bridge was they were trying to cross to get to the Americans, was 71 miles away. And oh so it's basically, it's basically a big triangle if you look at it. But Th- Those are huge distances. Yes, on foot. Mm-hmm. And then you're in no food. And you also have like, again, it's like, 
It's like Moses leading the Israelites out, man. Like you have this mass of humanity, all women, children, old people carrying their livelihood with them. And you're also trying to fight the Soviet Union, like during this, all this distance. It's, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty breathtaking if you, if you think about it. Um, so a little and- bit of uh, uh, history on when they make it to the bridge where, where the American line is, the, the American agreement was to take the soldiers, but not the civilians. Um, and so, uh, so they took the soldiers across the bridge, um, uh, across and, the and we should, we should add, we should add Scott, that there was only one bridge there and it was partially destroyed. Right. So they could only walk across like one section of it. Like, yeah. Continue. And so, um, and so the Americans were like, all right, we, we uh, like th- they were going to just leave the, the civilians, um, be- because that wasn't part of the agreement and there was commands and, and, and that's what like they were going to do but it just so happens that like at that moment uh russian artillery came in and was attacking the 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 german troops which were i I guess among the americans i don't know but the americans at that point retreated a mile or two back which gave room for all the civilians to come through and averted a a big uh what could have been a pretty pretty big disaster yeah right but then what but like you said um they, they they surrender to the Americans, but then that's when the the uh, Soviet artillery basically accidentally accidentally quote unquote kills a few Americans. So the Americans mm-hmm. pull back, which yeah. allows all the Germans to come across. But then what happens is the Soviets start following them. So the Germans have to attack the Soviets again and basically like hold the bridgehead. So like more. Um, yeah. it's, so, so, so they're like, no, we surrender to them. Stop coming at us. We've already surrendered to them. So right. Stop coming at us. right. Well, and I guess the, the reason for that, it sounds retarded to me, but I, I guess in, in World War II, um, uh, politicking and, and, and agreements, it makes sense. But the, the agreement the allies had, like, in, uh, you know, the UK, America and, and the Soviet Union and France is in there too, but they're kind of more just like to make them feel better but um the, the main agreement they had was is is yes because normally what they were looking for from germany was unconditional surrender they wanted mm-hmm. unconditional surrender and that yeah. was like the sticking point that a lot of Ger- a lot of german military guys didn't want to surrender they want to surrender but not unconditionally because there's like different there's a different definition and I'm, yeah I won't, I won't get into that but that was like the main thing but the allies did agree that if like pockets of Germans, you know, like, mm-hmm. oh, this platoon, this this army over here and this one front, if they surrender kind of piecemeal, then then you can accept the surrender. That's fine. You don't have to keep fighting them until Hitler surrenders because that's silly. So um, but but the, the agreement was is you can only surrender to the allied army that you're actually attacking. And so because Venk was ordered to attack the Soviets, that's who he, he had been attacking. The Allied agreement was he had to surrender to the Soviets because that's who he'd been attacking. He hadn't attacked the Americans, uh, and you know, recently, and so he technically couldn't surrender to them. Now the Americans kind of turned a blind eye to that, yeah. But um, but that 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 was apparently another like issue they had to struggle with is technically they weren't allowed to surrender to the Americans, and they did anyway. Yep. I think the Americans kind of bent the rule a little bit there, but they yeah. did they did end up extraditing a lot of the officers to the to the russians at that point mm-hmm. and and a lot of them a big portion of them killed themselves on the way yeah the germans committed suicide rather than being taken right. by the russians yep 
there was one army in the battle of, from the battle of berlin um might have been fighting on the north side of the city I, for, I forget that did end up surrendering to the soviets while most most of the other battle groups um made it to the elba to surrender to the americans yeah well because i think i think there was probably a like some guys, you know, that were like on the north or east of, of Berlin, like, look, man, I can't make it to Elba. That's yeah, 300, that's exactly. 300 miles away, yeah. man. It's, it's, I'm sorry. Um, I'm and, sure and there was a lot of suicide going on in those. I'm sure there was a lot of suicide um, going on, but it's, uh, man, heavy stuff. And it's this, heavy. Is, this is, I'm not sure because when you talk about, Dan Carlin does this, when you talk about, like the worst places to be in a war Berlin in April to May of 1945 is not a good place to be. And I suspect it's probably as bad as Stalingrad, like the, whatever it was the year or two Mm -hmm. before very similar situation, except for the roles are reversed, right? Is like the Germans are attacking uh, the, the, the Soviets in in the, in Stalingrad or what is now St. Petersburg and basically a similar kind of thing, except for, Stalingrad never fell. They they held out, but it's just one of those things where like these these battles are notorious for being just absolutely horrendous, massive casualties, massive starvation, massive human rights abuses. Just you name it, it was going on here. Literally hell on earth. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. There's um, there's one line in like the out row here. Uh, I'll just read the one line, which is "Who can now look back with a sense of pride?" And and that's that's a really interesting thing to um to that point about like modern day germany it does germany and I'm, you know i'm sure some people do don't don't get me wrong but it feels like as an outside observer looking at the country germany they don't still to this day don't really look at themselves with a sense of pride yeah there's lots of self-hatred in well they're they're I th- that's they're such afraid. a shame they're, yeah. they're afraid of their former selves. It's almost like, oh, I'm sorry. You know, I can't, I, I have to apologize for what my grandfather and great grandfather did. And it's like, dude, yeah. Yeah. it, it is sad. <laughs> I, I like, like I said, I watched this one music fi- or this one uh, YouTube video of a guy that was like reacting to this song. And he was a German guy that like a the history dude. Um, and he, he was younger, probably in his twenties or maybe early thirties. But yeah, it was really interesting to see how he, had to dance around this the subject because he was talking about his family members that were there and mm-hmm. uh but he he always had to keep the 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 proper level of hatred for for the world war ii bad guys you know and so that yeah yeah it, it, and and yes they, they did they, they did some horrible stuff um but yeah, it's such a it's such an interesting and complex dynamic. Um, yeah, I think from it a gets German person. I think it gets muddy when you're looking at it from 2023, right? You're not you're not looking at it in 1945 like, okay, good, those guys lost. Like that's yeah. one thing. But now it's like, okay, we're talking about their grandkids and uh what yeah. how should they handle this history? Yeah. yeah, it's almost like the, now it's like the war is over. Now the work starts as far as like, like the post-war stuff was, was just crazy. But but yeah, you think about my grandpa, your your grandfather, um, they, they were cheering. I'm sure that this was over. Um, oh, no. Yeah, no question. It, it, like, so, so it's like, 
and, and that's it's interesting. I don't know. There, there's lots of it's very complex. They were cheering for VE Day, Victory in Europe Day, but Japan still went on to fight for like what till August. Yeah, that's the thing. Is my, yeah, my grandfather he he went into because our, our beef Japan. was our beef was always with the Japanese as yeah. Americans. You know what I yeah, mean? That was always who we were. Going he was after. mostly affected by by going into Japan and and like trying to enforce surrender in Japan was was not a, a fun thing. Yeah. Well, and, and uh, just to kind of finish up, since we're kind of winding down on the song here, um, officially the Battle of Berlin ended May 2nd, but there were still pockets of German resistance that kind of kept fighting. But I believe as far as like um, Venk's army is concerned um, and all, all the civilians and people that he protected, um, they basically were able to make it to the Americans or, or large chunks of them were um not unscathed. There were thousands that were died along the way. He lost like 30,000 men in this, in this uh, engagement. But, um, but basically between May 4th and May 7th is kind of when they would like trickle across this bridge and surrender to the Americans. So essentially by May 7th is kind of when, uh, is when the Soviets made it to the bridgehead and stopped anyone else from crossing. And, um, and then after that, the, the Americans for unknown reasons extradited some of the guys, some of the German guys, men and women back over to, to the uh, Soviet union. Um, and that, uh, Oh, one thing I was going to say, Scott, for what you're talking about, as far as like, like the German people kind of having this embarrassment and, and, um, shame for their mm-hmm. past justified or not, they've been completely denuded of any, any fighting man martial spirit anything remotely uh like germanic or or proud to be german even if it even if it isn't nazi related even if you're going like world war one era it's just it's it's so it's been so tainted that you you just you're basically not allowed to like germany or like german things unless it's like their food or something like that you know what i mean or their beer you know what i mean like something really benign yeah something really benign yeah yeah yeah. So, um, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's just kind of sad because I mean, you look at it and it's like, okay, so let's just take the ninth army and the 12th army, the two armies that were, that were in this battle. These guys weren't running the concentration camps. They were just protecting right. their country like anyone else would. You know what I mean? Are we supposed to like villainize these guys? Well, well and I think that's what I was talking about earlier is like, this is kind of a genius uh, story to tell on Sabaton's part. To like, they had mm-hmm. a goal to to tell a story fr- about um, World War II Germany and be on the ger- and from the Germans' perspective, and like th- like, but not be but not be pro Nazi, and they found a way to do it. Th- and it, it was genius, right. uh, um, yeah, and, and very well done. Th- th- they were able to use quotes from a German commander saying, "It's not about Berlin, it's not about the Reich, it's about the men," and so um, it, it's exactly what we're talking about here. Um, I think Sabaton, like. like like they're coming from the same place we are where it's like, yeah, like you said, Frenchman separating the, the government from the people like they're like the, the German people aren't all like snarling dogs at, at this time, you know, that like, like they're maybe portrayed or something. Um, anyway. Okay. Yeah. And, and as far as like the lyrics are concerned, um, that's kind of it. It actually, it repeats that chorus over and over yeah. and over again. Like, you know, who'll, who'll survive and who will die up to Kriegsglück to decide those who made it to those who made it cross without a loss have reason to reflect 
It's not about Berlin. It's not about the Reich. It's about the men who fought for them. What peace can they expect? And then it's the end of the war, hold the corridor, reach for Elba's shore. And then it kind of basically keeps repeating that over and over and over again until the song sort of fades out. Um, and then the last two lines are, see the city burn on the other side, going down in flames as two worlds collide. And then the song just ends on a very sad note. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so one one thing um, that I thought was a little bit sad is, is the two generals from this, uh, this story, uh, Walter Venk, and then the other guy, he was over the 12th Army, um, the guy that was over the uh, the Ninth Army was, I think, Busa was his yeah, name. Busa. Busa, yeah. Uh, Theodor Busa, as I say it in German. Theodor Busa. Um, so those two guys. Walter Wenck actually survived the war. Um, mm-hmm. He did go, like every German that fought, every single one, served jail time um, in an Allied prison for a couple years. When he got out, he actually like became like an arms dealer, I think. But he lived what? all the way up. He, yeah, but he lived all the way up until 1982. And uh, in, on, on May 1st of 1982, basically the same, essentially the same day, almost, the Battle of Berlin ended, mm. um, he was, he was uh, in his early 80s, and he was on a trip in, um, in, in Austria, and uh, his car crashed into a tree, and he died. 38 years later. Or, yeah, early, 38, early 80s. 32. Or sorry, 32 years. Yeah. Remember. Yeah. And then... Um, and then Theodore Busa, we haven't really talked about him. He died in uh, October 21st of 1986. I was alive, That's you know, wild. when he died. <laughs> Which is great. He was 88 years old. So, um, you know, it's, it's just, it's like, like, like we were saying, this stuff is not too far removed, Mm-mm. you know? Um, but anyway, so I'm just kind of rambling here and just, you know, saying just whatever. But uh, Frenchman Churchman, hey, great, great song um great story i really enjoyed reading and, and and researching about this one yeah absolutely i really appreciate you guys having me on the show it's been a lot of fun um awesome man well hey uh so frenchman like just in the last little bit that we have um is there anything you're working on that that you'd like to advertise or do you want to um kind of throw out any of your your um social media handles that that you know where people can find you or follow along you know with whatever you're working on um I'm not really like a big content creator. I do have a sub stack. I've thrown up a couple of poems on. Um, I'm, I'm working on some fiction and some nonfiction, but they're not done yet. That sub stack is Hall of the Mountain King. Um, substack.com. And you can find me on Twitter at B, the letter B Frenchman. Um, yeah, that, that's pretty much, that's my online footprint for the most part. Cool. I'll post both of those in the um, in in the in the the show notes. So yeah, give him a follow on Twitter and uh, definitely subscribe to his Substack. Uh, I've read some of it; it's pretty good. Oh, I appreciate that. Thanks. Uh, sure, man. Yeah, but uh, other than that, and and then um, the the uh, the thing that we say to everyone, Frenchman, is if you have another song that you want to do sometime in the future, whether it's a Sabaton song or not, um, definitely let us know. We'd love to have you back on the show, man. I'd love to come back. Thanks. Sure. Cool. All right. Thank you. And we'll, uh, we'll have the song play us out.
nothing's been achieved Just to walk a day, go all the way The thrones are closing in As the end is drawing near The twelfth army interfere Open up a route, get people out Yeah.